And now Mr. Stark has prepared a statement. He will not be taking any questions. Thank you. Uh, been a while since I was in front of you. I figure I'll stick to the cards this time. <laughs> There's been speculation that I was involved in the events that occurred on the freeway and the rooftop. I'm sorry, several- Mr. Stark, but do you honestly expect us to believe that that was a bodyguard in a suit? that conveniently appeared, despite the fact that... I know that it's confusing. It is one thing to question the official story and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I never said you were a superhero. Didn't? Mm -mm. Well, good, because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. I'm just not the the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I've made. Largely public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Truth is, I am Iron Man. world outside your window is not great, but here on Post Show Recaps, everything is super, because this is Everything is Super, the podcast dedicated to all things super heroic, currently focused on the Marvel Cinematic Universal. Everybody, I am Josh Wiggler. I am not Iron Man, and neither is my co-host, though he would love to be, Kevin Mahadeo. Kevin, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, but actually, Josh, uh, this is only a few days old, but time has no meaning here. But uh, when everyone was doing that what character are you quiz recently, I am Iron Man. In fact, that was the result I got as my number one. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that that seems right. An arrogant, self-important asshole. Yeah, that's, 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 that's correct. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how many people out there did like that fictional character quiz that was like one of the most detailed ones, allegedly anyway, uh, and, and which characters you wound up with. But yeah, Kevin, you wound up with, with Iron Man. That's pretty sweet. I did. I actually, my, my top four are all of a type. It was Tony Stark as number one. Number mm-hmm. two was Josh Lyman from The West Wing. Uh, number okay. three was um, uh, Saul Goodman. I'm trying to remember his name, his real name, Jimmy. Jimmy uh, McGill. Jimmy, Jimmy McGill. McGill. And yeah. then three was Lee, the head writer in Westworld. Yeah, oh. that was my that was my most matched. Again, self-important writer who gets angry at the world for not appreciating his creations and ultimately falls on a sword for a robot. Sounds like my destiny. Exactly. And I think that those are all of a type. So, so you and I are friends <laughs> for clearly similar reasons here. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, this is Everything is Super. We're not talking about Westworld. We've got podcasts for that here on Post Show Recaps. This is going to be your superhero space. We've already recorded our announcement podcast basically our origin story and our mission statement that we're going to be crawling through the entire marvel cinematic universe movie by movie at least through phase one here in the weeks ahead beginning today with iron man we're going to be talking about iron man in full detail here we're also potentially going to be talking about movies way past iron man and by potentially i mean almost definitely we are going to be talking about movies way past iron man this is a spoiler filled podcast we are assuming that you have either watched all of the marvel cinematic universe or at least like those really big important pieces like anything that iron man is involved in we are assuming you have seen at this point uh and if that is not the case i just recommend you go and you watch those movies uh i'm just assuming that you probably have because they made so much money uh and i just have to assume that you were a contributor to those funds uh but if that is not you 
and you're nervous about spoilers is the wrong place the wrong wrong place to be uh that is going to be all the warning that you get here before we start really getting into it um some business at the top kevin uh we had said in our most recent podcast our first podcast in fact uh that we were going to have an email set up for people to send their feedback into it's up and running it's fully operational we're like officially at like mark three in terms of the feedback uh we went straight from uh like the the in the cave iron suit to the swanky red and gold super at postshowrecaps.com. That email address is fully operational. We've been getting a lot of great feedback. We got a lot to get into in this podcast today. We also have our Twitters up. Uh, I'm at Round Howard. Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo and at Posho Recaps. You can tweet us. Uh, we'll respond to you there and we'll try and include stuff uh, that we see on Twitter that's really good for the podcast. We'll, we'll fold it into here as well. We record these podcasts on Tuesday afternoon, so get them uh, get your feedback in by Mondays. Uh, and Kevin, we had said initially that we were going to be releasing Everything is Super on Thursdays. But surprise, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday morning. Uh, it's April 8th as you are listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it as it's coming out. Uh, that's because, you know, Wednesdays are new comic book day, Kevin. Feels like a very appropriate place to to drop our comic book show. Uh, so this is where it's going to be now. Wednesday mornings is going to be the new spot for everything is super. I mean, I think that's, that's really great and really uh, uh, sweet is the word I'm looking for. I mean, like right now, there, there sadly is a void in the comic book world because of, uh, you know, publishing and world-related issues, so I don't want to say we're going to be filling that void for people because I don't think we're that important. Although, do I think we're that important? Apparently you do. <laughs> Apparently you do, but we, we, we couldn't possibly fill that void. We can only stare into the void uh, as so many people are doing right now, and hopefully we are going to distract you from the void for just a little while here uh, on this podcast. Uh, our feed should be up momentarily if you have not subscribed to it already. Uh, keep looking for it. Uh, we should be available. Everything is super should be available on apple very soon and wherever you get your podcasts uh, and once that happens your ratings and reviews are going to be greatly appreciated to make sure that we you know new people can find us so that we're all building this really big community together uh we're going to be getting into some some uh, listener driven content deeper into the podcast that i think is going to be really really fun and the more voices we get involved in that the better uh kevin today we're talking about iron man um but you and i were talking a little bit offline earlier about one of the ways that i was spending my day today uh, and you had a funny anecdote about it uh is that for whatever reason avengers and avengers endgame is trending on twitter right now as we are recording this on april 7th uh 2020 uh almost a year past its uh premiere date uh and like people are like posting all these different uh iconic moments from the end of endgame like everything involving the thanos fight uh the on your left and all of that and and i am iron man which we will get the the origins of here in today's podcast and it's all like juxtaposed with huge like uh audio uh like uh, opening opening night audio of like people's crowd reactions to everything uh, it was a really energetic way to to spend a Tuesday. Yeah, and I uh, I have to admit something here about that, um, which is is interesting because you know there's all these reaction clips and and people are watching them, and I have to say, um, for for me, something that I actually do whenever I need this weird like boost or want to want to feel emotional, I don't know, whenever I need something in me and I want to have this like moment. Uh, there are two things that I've I've turned to to rewatch over and over again. The first, the first is actually uh, the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. That special. Um, there's an amazing moment Doctor Who fans know where essentially all the Doctors show up, and I watch that scene over and over again. And the other one for the past year has been 
I don't want to say on a daily basis, but on a way too often basis, I watch those videos of the audience reactions to Avengers Endgame, starting from like on your left onwards all the way as they're showing up. I'm like there and it just gets me. There's something about it that those moments when I need it, when I need to feel something to know that I'm alive, I, uh, I turn Pro- on those proof things. that Kevin Mahadeo has a heart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's by, yes. by watching this stuff. Uh, so I, I thought it was, it was really, uh, it was really fun to watch all of that in the context of watching Iron Man, which I did earlier today uh, before we got on the horn to, to talk it through today uh, to, to, you know, kind of like com- combine those two I am Iron Man moments uh, one which is this really you know whimsical as we'll talk about like uh, improvised thing right yes. uh, that that really changes a lot of uh, and and makes the, a lot of the MCU possible uh, to the way that it, it plays in Endgame um, having this huge emotional weight to it and look at that even still describing that in a relatively spoiler free way get out of here though I just want to tell you that Iron Man dies in Avengers Endgame <laughs> well you just did you well, just you Left. You should have left. We're, we're, you know, seven and a half minutes into a podcast at this point. It's, it's, it's your fault. We warned you. We warned you. Um, all right. Let's talk about Iron Man, Kevin. And first, let's talk about the fact that uh, lots of great feedback for the fact that we're doing this. It seems like people are really excited about everything is super, super reaction to everything is super. So we are thrilled about that. Um, but let's uh, let's 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 hop right into this thing. Let's assemble the podcast. Let's talk about uh, Iron Man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, uh, directed by, directed by John Favreau. Uh, we'll talk about Favreau's contributions, uh, the deeper we get into the podcast. Mr. Happy uh, Hogan, sir. Mr. Happy Hogan himself. Uh, it's <laughs> written by, uh, uh, an elite squad of writers and by an elite squad of writers, I mean, four of them, uh, there's four different people who, who have uh, writing credits on Iron Man. That's Mark Fergus and Hawk Ospie, who are uh, the co-creators of The Expanse. I don't know if you're a fan of The Expanse, Kevin. I just started watching it, actually. That's pretty good. My One of my friends loves it, and he got me to watch it because he told me it stars War and Peace from Sky High, and I was like, alright, that'll do it. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's a real, really, really fun show. A really great show. One of one of my favorites in uh, in, in recent memory. Um, I still don't think that there's really a, a like an adequate lost successor, but I think that this is a, an adequate Battlestar Galactic successor like i think it's like it's it's really filling that void for me uh so mark ferguson hawk osby who are who are responsible for the expanse are the writers on iron man as well as art markham and matt Matt holloway both of whom co-wrote punisher war zone kevin oh oh, 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 boy oh boy big uh big punisher war zone guy kevin i uh I am I'm a big fan of two moments uh, from mm-hmm. that movie. One where he shoots the guy parkouring with a rocket launcher, and then the other scene where he shoots the guy in the head with a shotgun, and his police captain is just like, "God damn it, Frank!" It's just yeah. speaking of amazing line reads, as we'll get to with Abadiah Stane. Uh, that's another great one from another movie. We'll be we'll be talking about uh, the Frank Castle of Punisher Warzone in a few podcasts from now. Uh, spoiler alert! Oh uh, God, that's people. right. I know. We'll just leave that as a tease. And people who already know that are like, yeah, oh, God, uh, or people who don't, you can figure that out. Some light Googling will do you good. Uh, Matt Holloway, one of the writers on this, is also uh, credited with the upcoming Sony movie Morbius based on the living vampire. We can't we can't judge it yet, Kevin. We have no idea. Uh, it could we, be good. Maybe we can. We've seen we've seen it Jared be, Leto in another. Be OK, it might be OK. Could it be might right. be. I will say it might be the Spider-Man vampire movie. How bad can that be? Potentially quite bad. We just don't know. Uh, Iron Man originally came out May 2nd, 2008. Kevin, do you remember where you were uh, when you saw the movie for the first time? I mean, I, I don't. I, I keep 
from our last podcast, I feel like I, I, I had to have seen it with either like with wizard people. It's the only thing that makes sense in my head. Um, and so I, I think there must have been an occasion where a group of us were there watching it. Um, but I, the thing I do remember, of course, is that argument we had with Mike Cotton over uh, Iron Man and the Dark Knight that we discussed in our previous podcast. Uh, um, the, the intensity of that discussion. Uh, I just remember Iron Man being so such a bigger deal than I expected it to be, than I think almost anybody expected it to be. Uh, it's got a reported budget of $140 million, and in its opening weekend, uh, cleared almost $100, uh, almost $100 million, uh, $98.6 million in its opening weekend. It would go on to make $585.3 million worldwide. Uh, right now, I think it's like it's in the top 40 superhero movies of all time, <laughs> which doesn't sound great. But at the time, it, you know, you know, this is the beginning of the MCU. And so, so many of these uh, top superhero movies are dominated by MCU entries. Uh, but Iron Man, like blasting into the scene the way that it did, it was a real trailblazing effort. Uh, it, it was really just coming in with with authority here uh, and uh, and launching something pretty, pretty wild. Um, and with the star power of Robert Downey Jr., really, uh, as we had as we had talked about before. And I, I don't think that I mentioned my my memory of like learning that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be Iron Man. Uh, I was still in college uh, when the casting was announced. Uh, You're so young, I, Josh. Uh, Kevin loves to tell me how much younger than him I am uh, by walloping uh, not quite six months. I think I'm four months younger than Kevin. Uh, old man Kevin, ladies yes. and germs. <laughs> Uh, I, so I was in college. It must have been senior year of college. I, w- I would guess maybe junior year because this this can't. Yeah, I think it would have have to have been senior year, early senior year. Uh, and this is back when ain't it cool news was still like kind of a thing. Really not anymore. It should not be a thing anymore. Uh, and I believe that they were the ones who broke the scoop that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be Iron Man. And I remember like we were playing beer pong or something in in my my college uh, apartment. Uh, and I like had to like separate myself from the rest of the room. Cause this just felt like a big deal. Like it just felt like a big gamble that Marvel was going to start making its own movies. It's they were doing Marvel studios. They were really, they were betting on themselves in a way that they had not betted on themselves before. And they were going forward with RDJ was the guy, uh, was a, was a pretty, uh, surprising thing. Um, Obviously, in retrospect, he is like a global superstar. Now he was already an accomplished actor at that point, but he was more famous for the fact that he, you know, was in and out of prison and rehab and all sorts of, you know, you know, headlines that, uh, you know, he probably uh, would not have wanted to be best known for at that point in time. There's a real comeback role for him, and it's impossible to think of uh, any of these movies without him. We're going to try at some point later on in the podcast to, to see what some of that might have looked like. But, uh, you know, say what you will about where Iron Man falls in your own personal MCU rankings. And I know we're going to do that at some point here. Uh, but without Robert Downey Jr., like, I don't think any of this really it comes anywhere close to flying off the ground as it does. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly about that. Like, Robert Downey Jr., his role as Tony, I think, changed everything. And, you know, like you said, we kind of get into that a little bit as we're going to plan to. But I have to say, though, uh, I, I'm I'm a weird one where, like, when people are usually against casting, I can – I've been, like, kind of pro. What's weird to me is that I didn't know a lot about Robert Downey Jr.'s past in terms of, like, the, the uh, you know, the rehab and things like that. Uh, but when they said Robert Downey Jr., the only two things that came to my mind were – Wait, the guy from Chances Are and Heart and Souls, which is these two really old, like, early 90s movies that I watched way too much as a kid. But I 
had those things like memorized in my head. And so when they said that, that's what came to mind. Other people are like, you know, obviously like Amadeus, but for me, it's, sure. you know, and Chaplin. And for me, no, chances are, and Heart and Souls, which if you haven't seen those movies, please do. They are very, very early 90s movies, my, just in my, plot. My big RDJ association up to this point was Allie McBeal, because he had like a very memorable turn on Allie McBeal. Uh, hanging out with Allie McBeal and then like suddenly disappearing and then some, sometimes like, you know, reappearing and all like tied to like the, the, the behind the scenes badness that was going on with RDJ. Yeah. But that uh, was also like pretty, uh, pretty a while ago. Right. Cause I also remember, I think around the same time that it was announced, but I definitely remember senior year of college. Um, I want to say like, I saw kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And that blew me the hell away um i i love that movie it's like i think one of my favorites and um he's so good in it that i think that was i remember watching it and thinking like i don't know where rdj has been i know now uh but uh this is this is his moment this is his comeback and sure enough like that led i think to a lot of things i i can only imagine that comeback for that led to iron man in some way and that obviously has rocketed him into uh superstardom um beyond which we have not seen in a long time so a uh, great friend of the podcast, Torbjorn Frazier, who's a huge Marvel fan. Uh, he's going to be joining us in spirit here along the way uh, from time to time with some behind the scenes production details. And I was going to save this for later in the podcast, but I think it actually makes sense to include now a little bit of the road to Iron Man because you just touched on something that's actually really important. Um, so in 1990, Universal buys the film rights to Iron Man from Marvel. This is back in the day when Marvel is like selling that stuff. It's like, we don't know what we're doing. Just take the thing. Sell all uh, of it. Sell X-Men. Uh, sell Ghost Rider. Sell, sell, sell. sell Fantastic uh, Four. 96, uh, the film rights go from Universal to 20th Century Fox, and there are a couple of attempts maybe to make Iron Man, or at least some expressions of interest from a couple of actors who, maybe let's talk about that part a little bit later, because I think that'll be fun uh, for something I want to get into. Uh, there was a screenplay that was written for Iron Man, it was more science fiction-y, um, MODOK was going to be in it. Oh, uh, wow, swinging for the fences early on with that for one. People, for people who don't know who MODOK is, MODOK's just like, uh, what is he was a, uh, he's man. a mental organism designed, yeah, designed only, for only for killing he's a gigantic head with arms and legs and uh um Patton oswalt has voiced him in things in the past uh Bodoc still has not really made it into the mcu i don't think he's gonna Unless, be i think there's gonna be a Modoc animated show i believe on hulu i think they announced well, it. They that's had this, crazy. Like, weird slate of stuff they announced um like a while back and i think Modoc was on that list that's crazy that's crazy so uh, Modoc is like a, a very classic Iron Man bad guy that like as we'll see with a, a lot of Iron Man like I think that there's some some arms reach with some of the Iron Man rogues gallery because it felt like it was too hard to incorporate into a, a more quote unquote grounded MCU which is where we kind of try to start sort of kind of at least in the Iron Man movies but then they do Thor and they go to Asgard so like and they even try to ground that whatever it's a thing uh, <laughs> realism in, in, gritty <laughs> realism did you see the Dark Knight in 2000, New Line Cinema bought the rights uh, to Iron Man from Fox. Fox felt they had too many superhero properties. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, and it's it's in like 2005-ish when Marvel gets the rights back. And Marvel is going to start putting a couple of movies into, into, into production or into varying stages of production. I know that there was like a big Comic-Con announcement of Jon Favreau getting hired to direct this. And we're making The Incredible Hulk. Um, uh, Edgar Wright on Ant-Man was something that was 
part of like the very early plans of what they were going to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ant-Man eventually goes. So, too, does Edgar Wright, but not in the way uh, that that uh, proceeds forward with with Ant-Man uh, and Favreau, who, you know, is uh, is you know, a, a relatively well-known qu- quantity at this point, certainly not to the point that he is now, um, but mostly as, a, you know, an indie filmmaker with swingers and stuff like that. Um, he he had been describing the tone of the project as an independent spy thriller, uh, and he wanted to cast an unknown as Tony Stark, wanted it to be somebody who could just like kind of appear because the world at this point doesn't really know who Iron Man is. It's hard to hard to real like to, to, to wrap your head around the fact that like we lived in a time where like nobody knew who Iron Man was when Iron Man is one of the most popular characters of all time now. Um, but Favreau uh, was eventually uh, incentivized to cast Robert Downey Jr., not just because RDJ had some parallels between his real life and and Tony Stark, you know, Tony Stark in the comic books, at least, is somebody who reckons, uh, reckons with substance abuse uh, and trying to, to clean up his act, even if that doesn't quite make it into the filmic uh, adaptation of the character. But it's through Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, this movie that you referenced earlier, Kevin, hey. uh, which is which is from Shane Black, uh, who is the the creator of Lethal Weapon. Uh, he was the writer of Predator. He's the first guy to get skinned alive in Predator. Spoiler alert for that. Uh, he made a Predator movie again relatively recently. It was bad. Just going to say that that was not a good movie. It was it not, was but I don't necessarily blame Shane Black on that one. Um, he also did The Nice Guys. Don't uh, avoid that he one. Al- a phenomenal he film also, as well. He also did The Nice Guys, and like, this is the point where people are like tearing their hair out, being like, yeah, and he also made Iron Man 3, you dummies. Yeah, yeah of the course. best Shane Iron Bo- Man. <laughs> Shane Black, well, <laughs> and now people are tearing their hair out for different reasons. Uh, Shane Black uh, is, is going to be the guy who directs Iron Man 3, but he directed Robert Downey Jr. in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is sort of like this modern noir, which is very, very funny uh and i i remembered that too that was very fresh of mind that kiss kiss bang bang had come out i think kiss kiss bang bang was like the first movie i'd ever gotten into as a screener in my entire life um my friend from college who kevin knows uh and he's gonna laugh because i'm gonna say his name harrison uh harrison uh my friend harrison Harrison. (laughs) my friend harrison was part of uh this you were able to like sign on for like movie screenings and he had he had these passes and he took me to see kiss kiss bang bang i remember being like so impressed with the movie and, and Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer is in it. So it's kind of an Iron Man and Batman crossover in a very stealthy way. Uh, and he was just fantastic. And so then he gets cast as Iron Man. And I think for Favreau, like this is a you know proof of concept that like he's going to be great for this. And obviously he is. He's just he's absolutely outstanding as Tony Stark. Um, rewatching the movie, Kevin, uh, it's just it's so clear to me that like there was just nobody who could have been this character other than Robert Downey Jr. I mean, at this point, um, no. Right. Like, I think when it comes to like the the biggest thing to pull out of this movie and like what has stood the test of time and is definitely Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark to the point that it it had what I'd like to call the uh, the Hugh Jackman Wolverine effect, which is um, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark was a phenomenal portrayal of the character and the core of the character, but changed the interpretation of the character in the comics itself. And the same thing happened when Hugh Jackman was cast as Wolverine. Wolverine used to be this, like, short, stout, like, you know, like, hairy, rah, rough dude. And after Hugh Jackman, he is taller and, and a little bit skinnier and completely different in how he's uh, uh, addressed in the comics. And I think Robert Downey Jr. 100% had the same effect. For the better, I think, he defined what this character is in a way that that's what people will always think of, I think, when they think of Iron Man is going to be Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal, which started in this film... Um, and very much so, I think right off the bat, I, I just, I, I watching this movie, I, I kind of was stunned by how good those first like 10 minutes were just 
the one opening with Back in Black, phenomenal music choice. But also just the dialogue, everything that happens in those first few minutes establish exactly who Tony Stark is, delivered by Robert Downey Jr. in such a great way. And it's just amazing storytelling. Even that scene where it's the Stark Industries bomb that injures him, I think, perfect. It, it says so much. It shows, doesn't tell, and really establishes so many interesting things quickly about what you need to know about this person in this world and his involvement in it. And, uh, and yeah, you, you get it immediately from his portrayal. I think the thing is, is like, you can get like a doctorate in the Marvel cinematic universe, probably at this point, right. In terms of like, like knowing every nook and cranny of the history of how this thing got built. And I think within that you could become like an Iron Man one specialist. Like you could be, a, <laughs> you could specialize in the first Iron Man film and Kevin and I are here to have a good time. And we're going to, we're going to do the, best that we can to talk about some of the some of this historical stuff we'll probably be getting a lot wrong along the way um but one thing that i that i do know and you can really uh dig into this like you can do the research yourself you can really read around this is anecdotal is that um we mentioned that there are four writers on this movie um but so much of the story and so much of the stuff that really works um really comes down to sort of like this free jazz quality of about Iron Man that like nobody really knew what they were doing. This is the first one that they're making. Uh, and luckily like Favreau is, is an indie filmmaker and he's somebody who is like very crafty and, and good at like getting bootleg and underground. Uh, and Robert Downey Jr. himself, I think is a really experimental guy, obviously a very creative guy. Uh, and I think, um, really lent a lot of himself imbued a lot of his own personality in Tony Stark. And a lot of this stuff that's reading as like snappy, quick dialogue. I think a lot of that is like stuff that's like written on the day. Like there's a great deal of improvisation, not just in the dialogue, but also in story movements along the way. I know like the Mandarin who's supposed to be uh-huh. like the big Iron Man bad guy who has not yet really traditionally appeared in the MCU, the will uh, at some point relatively soon in, in Shang-Chi, which is a, a phase four movie that's coming up, um, I think was originally slated to be like the big bad guy of this movie. Like somewhere in the development of it, they kind of like pivoted away. I think Obadiah Stane, the Jeff Bridges character, was going to be reserved for a sequel uh, as a villain this turn. So uh, a lot that's kind of changing on the fly here as they're figuring out what this movie should be, what this movie can be. I think a lot of cooks in the kitchen of people having conflicting ideas. And what it ultimately creates is like this really cohesive soup that probably shouldn't work anywhere nearly as well as it does and with the exception of with some major exceptions i would say uh holds up really well uh you know 12 years later uh you know this made in 2008 us watching it now in 2020 i think there's some things that stand out that are like hey gosh uh that's (laughs) not so great uh for reasons um but then there's so much that really does still feel very modern and i think a lot of that is in like the character work and the performance stuff here like that's my big takeaway on iron man is coming i i i I read through my my rankings of the mcu last week i know kevin you have since uh cobbled one together we'll get to that later uh but i had iron man in uh my top three um this was before i put avengers endgame in there i now have it in my top four uh fourth place for for myself just on like that initial list that i put together in april 2019 um and i don't know what this is going to look like as we go further into the into the to the canon um but i don't think it's a crazy take 
to have Iron Man in your top five. Uh, I think like this is the granddaddy that launches it all. This is the Zeus head from which uh, is it Zeus's head where things spring? It's the other guy. No, it's Zeus. Zeus. Is what it, it's, Zeus. Oh, is, it's Zeus's head where all the gods are born. I well, thought not, it was not, his dad. No, uh, not his, uh, not all the gods, but um, one of the god heads where the other gods come out. Who really yeah, cares? Athena, Athena comes it, out from it, Zeus's it, head. There's all sorts of things that are shooting out of the brain and Iron Man is the brain piece. It's the central brain piece that all the other mini brains are coming out from uh without iron man without old shellhead none of this is possible uh and it was a real delight to go back and check this out uh and see all of the many ways that i thought that this really did hold up so well yeah and i i'm in agreement i think it holds up uh way better than i thought it was going to i mean honestly even the special effects i think holds up for the most part there is like a couple scenes where you're just like whoa boy but other scenes like i'm i was actually pretty impressed by the effects that they had. There are things that uh, don't hold up. Uh, for me, number one is the phones. Every time they pulled out a phone, I was like, look at that phone! Like, it, they're ridiculous looking, especially yeah. just thinking back to where things were. But uh, I... Yeah, yeah, the fact that, like, Tony Stark is able to, like, holographically alter his Iron Man armor once he, like, gets back home and he's starting to do all that stuff. But when he's out on the road, when he's out on the field, when the convoy is getting bombed, uh, he's got like his Verizon flip phone that he's trying to call Rhodey on. Yeah, like, ah, and the Verizon good. phone that like also the, <laughs> it, like the screen turns to go to go horizontal, yeah. which as a marketer I'm like that's nuts. And then yeah. like uh, also the MySpace reference right there early on. Don't want to see us on your MySpace page. That's the, that's the, that's the thing that dates this movie, I think most. Yeah, we come straight out of it, and uh, yeah, uh, we're reminded of Tom uh, of MySpace fame. Uh, when, my friend Tom. Uh, <laughs> my friend Tom. Yeah, MySpace. Maybe maybe a dated reference. Uh, are, is MySpace still trying to be a thing? Wasn't it recently trying to make a comeback? I don't know. I, I don't think the comeback really worked. If they were trying, yeah, I don't think I don't think that worked out. I thought it was bought by someone, uh, but I'm not positive on it. Um, but you know, in terms of, I will say the rankings. Yeah, I'll, I'm definitely gonna get to my rankings later. I don't. Dis- I mean, like, look, some people are gonna have it in his top five. I don't think. Even in the rewatch, Iron Man is a top five film. I think it has a lot of power behind it. I think it's done a lot to establish what is to come. I think it's it, it, it shaped the MCU and what it became and what we know and love it as. But as a, as a film and in comparison to the other movies, for me personally, I, I still don't rank it up there uh, sure. to, to that point. I think it's, uh, you know, we, uh, if you're if you're just like kind of finding a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast here and you don't know uh, what post show recaps is, this is typically a, a space where we're talking about scripted television. But uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a lot of ways uh, operates as a scripted television series. Uh, but post show recaps is uh, intrinsically tied to Rob has a podcast, which is a reality TV podcast uh, launched and, and owned and operated by the great Rob Sesternino of Survivor fame. Uh, so so most people or many people who, who listen to these podcasts are big Survivor fans. And I know that myself and Kevin are both big Survivor fans. And what I would say, Kevin, is I've not attempted to ever rank the seasons of Survivor. There's 40 seasons of Survivor, just the American version. And to do so is a fool's errand because it is so hard to do. Uh, I'd be interested in giving it a shot someday, uh, maybe. But I, I just don't know where I would even begin. But I would say that like to have a top 10 where the original season of Survivor, Survivor Borneo, is not placed within that top 10 would be madness to me. In the same way that I think Iron Man has to be a top 10 movie, if only for historical value, if only for the fact that if this one didn't come out the gate as as excellently as it did, not perfectly, 
you know, certainly things that are not great. We're talking about the phones. That's not so good. There's like some wonkiness with shield. There's like some continuity stuff that I feel like they, they don't quite have a handle on yet, which is totally fine. They're about to be groundbreaking on this style of filmmaking that no one has ever even attempted before up to this point. Um, I think so much of it works and works in such a profound way that like in the same way where like, I don't think you could, you could rank the seasons of survivor and have Borneo anywhere outside of your top 10. For me, I think it would be craziness to put Iron Man anywhere outside of your top 10. Well, I am a crazy person, so you it's, are a crazy person. It's it's not. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. It, this isn't this isn't a like I, I think a, a, I'm going to dig my heels in and be like, I'm right. Like Tony Stark would. But um, I, I, I agree with you. I, I see a lot of that in, in rankings. I mean, people talk about Snow White as like having to be in the top 10 of Disney animated films because of what it what it did and what it launched. Um, but I respect what Iron Man did, and I think, again, watching it, I don't think my ranking in terms of the scores are going to be low, but I just think about what's to come and what I love and, and what's still there, and and I, I it's there, but I don't think it's it's top ten for me. At the moment, we'll see. I could change everything. Movies that I thought were great can end up being real bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we try and like sum up Iron Man for somebody who's just listening to the podcast and hoping that we can remind them what happened in the movie? Yeah, uh, is, that a, is, that, is that is that is that a foolish attempt to try and do like a full on plot summary of Iron Man? I mean, I don't think it'll be too hard because uh, one of the reasons why it's probably not in my top 10 is that there's a lot in the middle that I'm just kind of like this stuff happens. I mean, I, I guess that is the thing. All right. So so it starts off. Uh, it starts off with like an out of context sequence where Tony Stark is in Afghanistan. He's been trying to sell weapons to some people and he's in a convoy and there's this guy who's like, oh, you're Tony Stark. I don't want to say anything. I'm really nervous. And Tony Stark's like, it's really awkward in here. Can somebody please talk to me? And he gets everybody to talk and he's hitting on the driver, which is really awkward. Uh, and he gets uh, he, ta- he takes a selfie with one of the guys who throws up a peace sign uh and tony stark says hey, no gang signs uh just kidding throw up the peace yeah i'm all about peace peace is cool and just as that he says that war occurs uh as a missile there's a missile attack on the convoy and tony stark is injured uh by his own missile as you mentioned kevin there's a stark industries missile uh, a lot of information is delivered right there and then we flashbacks i think it's like 36 hours earlier or something like that a day and a half two days something like that earlier and we get all the other information that tony stark is being given a prestigious award uh fragile must be italian uh and we're finding out that tony stark is the son of howard stark he's this military industrialist uh he and his wife died in a mysterious car accident that we'll totally find out all about much later on down the line he does uh, look very different though because they had not cast john slatherly yet so it, it, it was funny looks, to be like oh right <laughs> he looks vaguely john slattery ish uh <laughs> certainly not the weirdest instance of recasting within the iron man universe we'll talk about that uh and so he's he uh, uh tony stark is like the boy wonder the super genius who comes of age after uh obadiah stain who is howard stark's best friend was in charge of the company for a while and obadiah stain uh kind of looks like human thanos he's bald he's got like the gigantic beard that serves as your wrinkly chin uh and he's the guy and tony's nowhere to be found to accept the award he's too busy playing craps and so his best friend uh james Rhodey rhodes played here one one stop uh by terrence howard and i believe uh terrence howard was initially maybe courted to play howard Stark, uh tony stark at one point in time i think that there was a a universe where he was going to be iron man but i think he was the first person who was cast for the movie got like a ridiculously good contract 
And then once Iron Man took off and everyone was like, yo, oh, wow, we can make a big universe like the Avengers thing's really going to work out. Uh, and Terrence Howard's like, all right, I want you to satisfy my contract and pay me all this. This is how he sounds in real life. Yeah, is is, is uh, that how you think Terrence Howard sounds? <laughs> I believe it's actually how he sounds. Uh, fellow March 11th uh, birthday boy, Terrence Howard. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, he's going to be like, yeah, well, what about the, the sweet contract that I have? And they're like, yeah, no, we can't pick that up because it's ridiculous and you're just war machine. Uh, so he. <laughs> He, he got priced out of continuing on in the in the Marvel franchise. And that's when they tapped Don Cheadle. And I remember being furious about this at the time. But Don Cheadle's great. Don yeah, Cheadle I, is I love Don Cheadle. So I, I wasn't super upset by it. But it was it was one of those moments where like he comes on screen. and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, I forgot Terrence a, Howard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's going to get a lot stranger next week when we talk about <laughs> the Incredible Hulk and basically have like. I don't know what the almost I almost don't know what the purpose of talking about the Incredible Hulk is next week, but I guess we'll find out as we as we dig into it. Uh, but Terrence Howard, he's roadie and he shows up. and He's like, yo, what are you doing playing craps? You're supposed to win the prestigious award. He's like, hey, blow on these dice. And he blows the dice and he blows the thing and it, ru- and it ruins it. But Tony Stark doesn't care. because He's got all the money in the world, so he doesn't care if he loses a hot streak. Uh, then a journalist comes up to him and is like, hey, you're a bad guy, aren't you? He's like, hey, actually, I'm not a bad guy. And she's like, oh, do you lose a lot of sleep at night? He goes, no, but I lose a lot of sleep with you. And then they do it. They uh, invites her over to his house and they do it. And in the morning, uh, he's nowhere to be found. And the reporter, whose name is Christine Everhart, who I believe is from the Daily Bugle uh, in the Marvel comics, but is in Vanity Fair uh, in the in the world of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because at this point, I don't think they've got the rights to the Daily Bugle. Uh, she meets Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, who's going to be a, a key player in the MCU moving forward. Uh, Pepper Potts is Tony's uh, right hand woman. Uh, and she takes out, uh, she does the dry cleaning. I even take out the trash sometimes if Tony needs me to. It's the shade, the shade, the sweet (laughs) burn against Christine Everhart. Uh, So that's how we get introduced to, to Pepper Potts. Uh, Some, I guess like Tony's going to have to go to Afghanistan to like sell some missiles and stuff. Shows up, he gets like very drunk with Rhodey on the flight over after Rhodey's like, no, this is very serious stuff. And then they go on the flight and Rhodey's like, oh my God, too much champagne. Yeah, just like that. That's what happens. And, I think that's what happens. Yeah, uh, it, it was. I mean, like that's the weird things. I, I do think that like Terrence Howard has these moments that I think are are really solid uh, throughout, which is weird to look back on because I do love Don Cheadle in the Royal, but it is weird to look at Terrence Howard and be like, oh yeah, he was. You know, it was a really well done. I think portrayal of the character and those are those weird moments where you see the friendship and i think they had decent uh chemistry I with liked, each other. i thought they had great chemistry yeah. great chemistry between terrence howard and robert downey jr uh we start to catch up with where we began the movie as rdj shows up as tony stark and he's like uh i uh, know that people think that the best women is the one you never have to fire i disagree it's the one you fire once and then he shows off the jericho missiles and they're pretty cool and there's like this big shock wave uh, and he just like kind of walks through cool guys don't look at explosions and all of that uh, and he pops open like a crate of uh, military gear and there's a bottle of whiskey in there and that explains why he's drinking the old-fashioned in the back of the car then the car blows up his back and black is playing again i think we get like a little bit of a reminder of that uh back in black a little on the nose maybe i don't know uh but it's good it's fun i like the i like the music cues here in the movie yeah the music um, is, is i think really well done and of course they saved the the, the, the big song for for the end of the film which i think was uh uh, choice. I mean, that was great. So I'm a glad good, they did that. Strong choice. Yeah. Uh, but then we spend a lot of time in these caves where this organization, the Ten Rings, a terrorist network, 
Kevin. That was uh, another one where that they said ten rings, and I was like, "Oh right, yeah. <laughs> this was a thing they were trying to do." And they really that, tried to make this a thing. They were, and to the point where like there was moments where you see that the head terrorist, and he's like turning the ring in his hand, and you see Obadiah Stane later. There's a shot where his arm is over Tony, and you see a ring on his pinky, and it's such a focus. And it was very clear they were like trying to set that up. Um, at that point, but it's so weird to look at it now and be like, yeah, that never happened. Um, yeah. which I'm mostly okay with. I mean, it's coming back in, in Shang-Chi and I'm curious to see how they pull that all together in there and, and the direction they go. But Mandarin is a founding Iron Man vi- uh, villain and he's got these 10 rings that are super magical and powerful and crazy. And, uh, they just never really manifested yet in the MCU. Like Kevin says, it's going to come up in a future movie called Shang-Chi. Uh, but like you could see that they're like trying to do like sort of like the gritty, almost Nolan-esque, uh, like reinterpretation of the Mandarin and the 10 rings. And so they're calling this terrorist organization, uh, the, the order of the 10 rings or, or whatever it's called. Uh, Tony meets a, a buddy. He meets his Yinsen, uh, played by Sean Taub is playing this character. Yinsen, who is a character that I often forget. And I feel bad that I forget because he's great. Uh, this guy is like, yeah, we met once we were at a conference together. You were kind of an asshole. Uh, and this is like how Tony starts to get a little bit humbled where he realizes all of his warmongering ways have been having these really bad impacts on all these people in like worlds away from, from his, uh, his place of operation. Uh, and he's not necessarily becoming like a full on pacifist, but realizing like there's gotta be a better way of doing what we do. Um, and it's a lot through Yinsen and, and Yinsen is the guy who's going to help, uh, Tony figure out like, all right, we got to find a way out of here. Cause these guys want us to build some weapons for them. And if we do that, they're not going to let us go. They're just going to, they're just going to cap us and not in the Steve Rogers sense. They're going to, they're going to murder us. We're going to die. Uh, Yinsen secretly is like, I'm going to die anyway. And I'm, and that's part of the plan. Uh, he's going to help, uh, Tony build the very first Iron Man suit. Mark one. Uh, this is a nod to the original Iron Man armor, right? Which is very bulbous and bulky like a moose. Yeah, it's gray and big and bulky. And it's 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 a modern reinterpretation of, I think, the Mark One. And I remember when that I was so surprised that they did it where I was just like, I can't believe they actually showed uh, the Mark One kind of like how the Mark One looks like it, it was so stunning to me to see those moments. And I remember when I first watched it, just being blown away that like, wow, I can't in, in the world of gritty realism. I can't believe they did that. And now they have a raccoon and a tree man. So they've come a long, long <laughs> yeah. way from from the stock value of that. Uh, uh, for sure. So, so poor Yinsen dies as that machine, uh, as that armor is is put together. And he has a line to Tony where he talks about uh, don't waste your life, uh, make sure your life matters, uh, which I think uh, a lot of people who are like really big, deep MCU nerds feel like that pays off in the ultimate Iron Man arc across the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, that Tony uh, doesn't throw his life away. He doesn't waste his life. In fact, he he does, you know, toss his life away, but with like incredible reason behind it. Um, so I think that it's 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 great to go back and watch this movie with the full Iron Man arc in mind, uh, knowing that something really does spark here. Something sparks here in the cave. And it's not just uh, Tony deciding like, I need to become an armored Avenger. I need to become a superhero. It's literally like I need to live a life that's worth living. And you see that through the rest of it. Once he gets free, uh, as Kevin mentions, I think there's a lot in like, 
the midsection of Iron Man that's pretty forgettable. Uh, there's a lot of like training sequences that are fun on their own, uh, and like armor building sequences that are great and comical and whimsical. And like when he gets like thrown across the room, when he's like blasting off for the first time, the way that they filmed that, like it's all from like the perspective of like a a camera that's like logging the game footage and he just gets like hurled into the wall. That's great. But like from a story level, like a lot of stuff is just kind of like, wait, what happens in the middle of Iron Man again? It's exactly. And I think, you know, that's one of the faults of it. I will call out the the comedy I think is great in those moments. And it's hard not to look at that and think like, yes, that was like a downturn. It's such a weird scene. But it was, I think, in the world of gritty realism, it was them being funny in a way that I think we see a lot more moving forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think to the benefit, I think those moments as like throwaway as as they are were important in in the sense of like setting up the ability to do comedy in these films in a, in a way you would never see in something like the dark Knight or uh, pretty much any DC film. Um, so I, I, I like those aspects, but yeah, it's completely forgettable in terms of he's just testing out a suit. He's building the other ones. Obadiah is looking kind of shady. There's not a lot that happens in that middle section that I think is, is vital. It's fine. And I, I love the first act a lot. I think the first act is, is some of the best in the, in the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I think we see something in Iron Man that we see carry out throughout the other films, um, where it's a great opening act and kind of like the second and third are not as good. It's not until I think Avengers that you really see a good spin around of that, and really it's the, the first act is okay, the second is great, and the third is holy crap. Um, right. It's really weird too, not to like diverge too much from just a recap, but you mentioned the Yen Sin stuff, and I really do like that. Uh, I think the actor did a phenomenal job. I think. It was really touching. I actually really love that scene where he was like, this is always a plan. And he was like, I'm going to go see my family actress. I thought it was great. What is weird is like looking at it now and you're just like, oh, this is the establishment of the formula. Because that's what always happens now. And and uh, so many origin stories that happen afterwards, it's just like, oh, he's there. He has a friend. That person's going to die. But teach them a lesson about how to become a better person. And yeah. I think that, uh, as you said, we owe Iron Man to establish this for sure. But... Uh, it becomes a bit of a trope moving forward. Uh, oh, that's yeah. It. No, they de- they definitely lean on it. They lean on it a lot. Uh, but that's super heroics, right? Like, that's superhero fiction. For sure. It's like, who's the guy that made you? That guy's probably dead. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, super dead. With, super dead. With, whether they literally made you, whether they, like, imbued you with the power uh, or they inspired you you're dead you're yeah. not alive anymore almost to the almost as a rule uh like i'm trying to think of who are like the big exceptions to the rule um we can we can chronicle there those really. as we go <laughs> yeah, as there aren't really this. there really aren't many uh like black panther's dad is dead you know thor's dad is dead even if they're not dead right away they'll die eventually yeah, all, all the dads are dead superman's dad is dead uncle ben is dead <laughs> you know, know, uncle all... ben r.i.p uh, maybe he's alive in the mcu we don't know they still haven't really told us what happened uncle ben no i think that they did right and it's like after what happened to my uncle yeah but we I, I think so uh, I, don't, <laughs> I think we just don't know like how hard he died because <laughs> otherwise just, what like the, the other option is that uncle right. ben just left on yeah. may and peter and just like raise him on your own i'll see you what, later <laughs> what if uh the uncle ben of the mcu is just a deadbeat uncle right I mean, it's not With impossible great, power great responsibility and i want yeah. none of it and then yeah, he wants none of that. all right so the middle the middle pieces of iron man are uh tony is back in america he needs an american birth burger so he goes to burger king which is ridiculous there were burger kings everywhere i'm sure he could have had a burger king on his flight home but there's actually something really interesting about that i i don't know if you know this that's actually um a really important thing for robert downey jr because he fought to have burger king uh in this movie specifically in that moment because 
uh, in a weird way, though, from what I understand the story is, he, uh, on, on one of his nights of, of, of terrible bending and, and, and just, you know, spiraling, he found himself at a Burger King eating, uh, a, a, like, a you know, a cheeseburger. And that was the moment he had his clarity of just like, I need to get my life together, which yeah. is weird because that's not putting Burger King in a positive light. That's like, well, no, how low did is. I get that you know, I'm, I'm eating? <laughs> I like to imagine that the king sat down across from Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. himself, you know, with like his immovable face Ugh. and just like sat down next to Iron Man. I was like, buddy, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, man, you're right. Uh, the Burger King was Robert Downey Jr.'s Yinsen. Yes. Yes. That was his Yinsen. Who then uh, died a terribly tragic death. Clearly, no, the king, we... the king continues to reign. The king will never die. Uh, the Burger King is not going the way of Mr. Peanut. He better not anyway. I'm not ready for the baby Burger King. Remember when uh, that happened? Anyway. I do. Unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, I do. Uh, if he's replaced by uh, Prince Whopper, I'm going to be furious. Josh, uh, you said it. Now it's happening. I know. I put it out <laughs> into the universe. What have I done? Uh, so he comes back and he's announcing we're not going to be making weapons anymore. And Obadiah Stane is really not feeling this. And, you know, he's the bad guy. He's Jeff Bridges. He's got he's bald. He's got the big hair. He's looking very Heisenbergy. Uh, on top of that, he's chomping on cigars. He's wearing the pinstripe suit. Uh, this is the bad guy. Like this is very like you didn't even need to, you didn't need to know a lick of the comic book origin story or anything from the comic books to know like oh yeah so Jeff Bridges is the shady business partner who is absolutely going to betray Tony Stark uh, and that's like what a lot of the the mid part of the movie is like is kind of putting those pieces together. It's crazy to think um, of that of of them trying to not make him seem like the bad guy because he's chummy with Tony and everything. But like, I believe to, to pull out a, an early on here quote from, um, from Robin, uh, there's this scene where he is just lounging in his black silk robe with purple and pink pajamas. And Robin is just like, Oh my God, earlier he was wearing a pinstripe suit and smoking a cigar. He's so villainous. How did they think anyone could have could not think of him as the bad guy it's clearly the bad but i mean like kind of like stark industries were the bad guys right like and i think like everybody and and that's sort of what tony is driving at as the as the movie is progressing is like we've been doing the wrong thing for so long and we've just like kind of been looking the other way because like it's business as usual and it's our jobs and all of that and uh like he's he's woke now right like he's not perfect he's still like a philanderer he's a womanizer it doesn't look great like tony stark even fresh out of the cave very cancelable guy uh but like there are ways in which he's trying to to build back uh some semblance of uh of not even himself because he was never this guy he's trying to take Yinsen's words to heart and that manifests in the form of him trying to be like close with pepper he wants to have something resembling a life of something resembling a family um and so like there's like the awkward like meet cute stuff with uh her wearing the dress that you bought me um there's the really great scene which i think is maybe my favorite scene in the movie and it, it is in like sort of this midpoint of the movie where she's helping him change the arc reactor out because it does look kind of goofy but if you can't buy that like someone can stick their hand inside of your chest cavity and pull out like a slimy wire and reconnect the wire and have that be something that is both like relatively believable within the world of the movie but also very funny and kind of light and character building then i think the whole thing is going to fall apart and i think the chemistry between gwyneth paltrow and robert downey jr in that moment is is really top-notch two thumbs up uh it's one of my favorite things and obviously that has Huge payoff in the in the grand scheme, 
This is the kind of thing where, like, I don't think this is something that you can plan this early on. I cannot imagine it was even a thought. But it's the kind of thing where, like, when Kevin Feige and the rest of the people who are higher ups at Marvel know that Endgame is going to include the death of Iron Man and that Iron Man's going to save the day by killing him, uh, getting himself killed and sacrificing himself for everybody, uh, that they're going to have, like, the big funeral sequence. Like, they can look back in the archives and they've got that original arc reactor that is in this movie Put in this like uh, in in gift you know gift packaged as proof that Tony Stark has a heart, and that's going to be such an emotional thing later on in the movie. That's capitalizing on twelve years of fan investment. Um, so I obviously like that you're you're awarding it points for like retroactive stuff, but so much of the things that pop later on down the line in the MCU are so vitally established here. That's a really big one, I think. I think a hundred percent, and I definitely call it out too. When when that happened, I, I I turned to Robin and was like, "Oh, hey, Tony Stark has a heart." Like the moment she took it out, uh, you know, bringing that back around, I think is really clever. And like you said, you know, I think it is retroactive points. They went back and looked at stuff and thought what they could bring in, which is I think they did a phenomenal job. Um, also, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts is phenomenal in this. That was uh, Robin's pick as basically MVP of this film, and she is great chemistry. She has phenomenal delivery. I think she does an, an amazing job. Uh, being really charming and fun. Um, my big question to you, though, Josh, is do you think Gwyneth Paltrow remembers being in this film? No. <laughs> no, I'm sure she remembers being an Iron Man, but I think like she remembers being in the Iron Man movies. But there is like the famous Gwyneth Paltrow quote from relatively recently where she's like, wait, I was in Spider-Man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you were in Spider-Man. Uh, so I don't know. Goops. I don't know what you want to say about that. I mean, I kind of uh, get it, you know, to her point, like she just films these scenes probably pretty quickly. Did sure, not know sure. it was for Spider-Man. Uh, but, for, those, yeah. th- for those who do not know Kevin well, uh, and he mentioned this in, uh, last week's podcast, Robin is of course, Kevin's uh, phenomenal partner. Uh, one of my, uh, favorite human beings on the planet, uh, full, full on West coast family for me. Um, and Robin is watching these movies along with you, Kevin. Uh, and, uh, for her saying Pepper Potts is the MVP, I would like to officially establish a Robin MVP award. Who is Robin awarding as the MVP and the LVP, too, I would be interested in along the way. Uh, who does Robin have as the MVP of Iron Man and the LVP of Iron Man? It sounds like Pepper Potts is her MVP. I don't if know if I you could, te- if you could text her and find out who, who her LVP is. I'd be very curious to know. Probably Obadiah State, honestly. <laughs> and, how would you, and how would you describe Robin for people so that they get like a sense of like her personality and the things that she values in storytelling and in life uh, to help uh, further contextualize uh, the, the picks that she'll make along the way. Uh, her number one character on that list was Lisa Simpson. So take that as you <laughs> okay. will. Okay, great. That tells you absolutely everything. hundred percent. And that's very accurate and very, very great. Uh, so it starts to come out that Obadiah Stane's a jerk. Uh, it's after like, uh, you know, Tony is still like doing all these things that are disruptive to the business. And Obadiah is eventually like, yeah, you know how there's like the board is rebelling against you. Like I put that order in. That was me. I did it. It was me. What a twist. Who what saw this twist. coming? Uh, let me twirl my thin little beard uh, <laughs> and rub my bald head as I'm doing it. Uh, and like, if it's not already clear at that point that he's the bad guy, he, he goes and he meets up with the 10 rings at one point. Uh, and it's like, I ordered the hit. And now I'm going to be a dick to all of you guys too. And that one guy, I'm going to zap you with like my, my mind warping, paralyzing thing. That's going to uh, only be used in a couple of, uh strategic 
points, but probably should be used deeper in the movie to stop Iron Man. And, and then we we'll never battle. see it again in the history but we'll of never, these films. <laughs> but we'll never see it again. So he's bad. Somewhere along the way, also, Iron Man puts on the suit for the first time and goes and uh, fights terrorists in a village. He goes and battles the Ten Rings. Uh, and that includes one of my favorite shots of the movie. I think like the iconic shots are that we're getting like the uh, like the 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 heads up displays within the the, the suit of armor that's going to track throughout all of the Iron Man movies. But my favorite personal shot in the movie is uh, when he gets like knocked out of the sky, he lands and he shoots the tank and then he's walking away. And it's just like the total cool guys don't look at explosions thing. Uh, it's just a, a really, really good shot. Yeah. Just how, like Rhodey finds out about it, too. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. I can't think of a, another shot that's really good. I mean, if anything, it's the one like right before that where he just lands for the first time in the in the what is credited as the Batman pose, but just the, you know, lands on the knees, fists in the ground style. Yeah, uh, it's a great shot, a great moment. But like that walking away from the explosion, the cool guy don't look at explosions thing is, is absolutely, I think, a, a great moment in that film. Uh, so other than uh, the fact that Obadiah Stane brings Tony pizza from New York, like that's the only cool thing he does for Tony Stark in this movie. Although it's hard to know if that was good pizza or not. It says famous original Ray's, but there are a lot of people that have claimed to be the Ray's pizza. And I would even go as far as to say you could probably done better pizza than Ray's to begin with. So if you're going to bring all that pizza all the way back from New York City and you're going to bring Ray's, he probably could have done better. So even that, I'm going to I'm going to uh, neg some points from Obadiah. And what did he really do? He sent an intern to go and get that. He just flew on a plane. So I'm even taking the pizza points away from <laughs> Obadiah Stane at this point. Uh, but then he's out and then he like shows up to Tony and he like does the brain freeze on him. And he's like, it was me. I'm the bad guy. And then Tony nearly dies. But thankfully, like Rhodey shows up and he helps him out and Tony's like I gotta go stop Obadiah Stane otherwise he's gonna kill Pepper Potts and then he leaves and then Rhodey looks at the Mark II armor that's all in silver and he goes next time and for Terrence Howard there will be no next time <laughs> sadly <laughs> a very one of the most awkward moments in franchise history is Terrence Howard looking at the at the at the Iron Man armor with a war machine easter egg bent to it saying next time and Iron Man 2 I'll put that on yeah, no. No, you won't, man. <laughs> you definitely will not. It really is tragic. And yeah, I remember too, like, it's another moment of like watching it now and remembering then. And I remember then being just like, oh man, War Machine, they're setting it up. Which, at the time, like, there's so much though that happens in this movie of setup that that you're just like, oh my gosh, like the War Machine stuff, obviously. Agent Coulson showing up, I actually, I hate to say that I forgot Coulson was in this movie, but I forgot. And when yeah. he showed up, I was like, oh man. And I remember... I distinctly remember that moment where he says, like, oh, I'm part of strategic, you know, Homeland. And, like, I, you know, I'm there in the theater just like, hey, that shield, that shield, that's like a thing that that that, that they're maybe setting up. Little did I know at the end of this movie in the post credits, they were doing way more than just setting up shield. Right. They were doing a lot more than just setting up shield. But all the shield references, like, and I, I, I choose to believe that Coulson is just being cheeky and not telling, uh, you know, telling Pepper what shield actually is. But Pepper Potts probably ought to know what S.H.I.E.L.D. is, and so should Tony Stark. I think you just have to forgive this stuff as, like, they didn't know that they were going to be a big deal yet. Cut them some slack. They got to figure their thing out. They're figuring their thing out. Uh, so Obadiah Stane is trying to, like, make a gigantic version of the arc reactor, or he's trying to make another miniaturized arc reactor, because he Correct. wants to be able... He wants to make, like, uh, another Iron Man suit, and he basically... Uh, an Iron kinda, Monger suit, sir. Yeah, this is the Iron Monger suit. It's, uh, he's, uh, he's pulling together the, the suit that was left behind 
uh, in the caves. This is where he rips into uh, Peter Billingsley is the actor who plays William Riva, who's going to show up again uh, in Spider-Man Far From Home. So we're really going to bookend the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Infinity Saga with Peter Billingsley, who, of course, Kevin, you know who he is in in, uh, in most famous as in pop culture, don't you? Oh, my God. No. Who? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. That's, oh my uh, that's, gosh, Ralphie! Uh, it's Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Is <laughs> the guy who Obadiah Stane rips the head off of as he says, "Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with scraps with a box of scraps." <laughs> what a fantastic read from from Jeff Bridges. That's like like that's a thing where iconic, <laughs> iconic, iconic. Jeff Bridges, despite the fact that Obadiah Stane is not a great villain, Jeff Bridges is amazing. He's fantastic. It's a, gra- in it's every a great instance of like a shit character that is fully elevated by a great performance. Like 100%. I think like we're going to rank villains throughout this thing. And I think like we could very easily rank Obadiah Stane, like in like a very low end of that spectrum. I think he's going to arrive much closer to the middle, at least for you and me, because Jeff Bridges is great. Uh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> and like that, that goes a long way for me. Uh, but he builds the Ironmonger suit and he and Iron Man fight on a roof and then Ironmonger dies. And that's basically it, right? In terms of that battle, the, it, the final battle is just sort of whatever. Well, sort of. I mean, this is what's weird. Like the first time I watched it, I do remember a, a lot of times talking about how the third act, that final battle was just kind of like whatever. And like in terms of stakes and like him doing his monologue, it, it is whatever. But I think. That better that that battle is better than I previously remembered, only because the basis of comparison has changed. Because like they're using the environment, and I think uh, Shanti Collins, who is someone we know, once quoted this from somewhere else, but I, I remember it distinctly. Where um, a good action scene is indistinguishable from the environment in which it takes place, and that's accurate. And I think they had a lot of that here: the use of the cars, the things like that. You know, in the environment, I thought was was used in a not amazing way, but a great way. Compared to what we see now in a lot of well, one particular company's movies is a lot of like the final battle is amongst this orange, fiery, gray, blah area where nothing is around and it doesn't matter where it takes place because here's some CGI action. So comparatively, honestly, the battle is better than I remembered it because they've, they've just been saw a lot of really bad ones afterwards. So yeah. as much as crap we gave it in the past, I actually kind of elevated it a little bit um, in the present day. It's fine. You know, I think it's unmemorable uh, yeah. is its big is its biggest sin is that it's unmemorable. And I and I think like maybe that speaks a lot to um, not just the strengths of Iron Man, but maybe even the strengths of the MCU. Certainly the MCU gets much better with action. Um, you know, that aforementioned final climax of Endgame is one of the craziest scenes ever in anything. Um, but I think that it's the characters and it's the casting and it's the acting and it's like that work that elevates these movies above like uh fast and furious. There's people who like the fast and furious movies. I don't want to, I don't want to trash the fast and furious movies. I know, I know I liked them to a point Uh, like the transformers movies who are like the huge transformers movie stands out there. It's just like big thing, throwing big thing at another big thing. Um, This is like, there's, there's really, really good character work that goes on in these movies. And especially in iron man, you remember like the first, you know, 45 to an hour of the movie better than the second half of it. Because that's where so much of like the really fun character stuff is coming out and where Robert Downey Jr. is really just getting to like when he's in the cave, you know, building this thing with a box of scraps. It's compelling stuff because it's like it's showing you like the ingenuity of Tony Stark and it's showing you all of that. And it's fun to see him here, like figure out how to be an action hero. And I guess it makes sense that he's not very good at it at the start. You know, he has not yet fought an alien army at this point. 
he has not yet fought a really angry Mickey Rourke. Uh, so, you know, like he's got a ways to go before some of this stuff is going on. And I, I, I can forgive it for sure. I think it's biggest sin is that it's forgettable. And if that's the biggest sin, the final battle has, there are certainly bigger sins out there. Yeah, for sure. And I, including I, Yin. Yin is a bigger sin than the sin of this battle. Yin sin is a bigger sin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you nailed it. I did appreciate it, but it is forgettable because I don't even remember it. That the the whole like, you know, frozen go too high, the ice problem, you know, I think I I'm, that was like Chekhov's ice right there, um, bringing it back around, which I thought was was good. But it is it is forgettable in terms of like the other stuff we're going to end up seeing, especially, and especially when it comes to action, but it is a character work that I think makes these movies excel. I think they casted fantastically as they went on and they knew who to get the roles right. And certainly for the big three Avengers, they, they nailed it. And that was the one that you're going to need to nail the most. So, uh, yeah, for sure. All right. So Obadiah stain blows up. <laughs> Peace out. Obadiah stain hardly knew you stain on the floor. Uh, and then the next day, there's another press conference. Tony Stark had already done a press conference, and you heard this at the top of the podcast. This is how we introduced the show. It's the whole I am Iron Man moment, which, again, yes. uh, I believe is improvised, I think, is the is the story behind that. And in just, like, one act of improvisation, uh, they, like, really set a standard for the MCU, where it is a huge exception to the rule to be a superhero with a secret identity. Uh, there are very few. It's really Spider-Man, and, like, who else? I mean... Well, depending on when you're reading the comics, I mean, there's Clark, there's Bruce. There's, there's, there's well, a, there's I'm a, saying in the MCU. Oh, sorry, in the MCU, my, in the, my yeah, in the, apologies. In the in the MCU, but I mean, like the big superhero trope is uh, who's the you know who's the man behind the mask, or who's the guy underneath the glasses, or who's the guy with the glasses, because somehow that is enough to confuse you. That is not Clark. <laughs> Listen, it was a different time, all right. <laughs> you know, but like they they go they do away with that. That's not that's not really a thing that they try to do here, and I wonder if they really would have tried to lean into that more, if not for, for such a true to character moment of Tony Stark, as far as he's come at this point, who has been, you know, like trying to redeem himself, trying to do some, something better. Dude's still a total narcissist, right? Like still a huge attention seeker. And he gets off on this stuff. So like, yeah, you know what? I am Iron Man. Uh, and it's great. It's really fun. And that's, that's the, the big uh, climax of the movie. And the fact that it's improvised is, uh, is just wonderful to me. I think I think you said something that's true, though. I think that the, the, the MCU would have been a completely different place had they stuck with what they were going to do with the bodyguard stuff. And and it would have been a slightly more faithful to the comics, but like, it jumped forward in what the comics are to a point where in the comics at this point, everyone knew who Tony Stark and Iron Man were. But I think that did change things. I think it changed tone. I think it changed direction. I think it, it made these movies into what they eventually became. I think it's an improvisational line that really defined the MCU forever. And I remember that moment being shocked being like oh my god because it was something like the trope is like the secret identity and to just do away with it but it felt perfectly in character it felt like right for that character to just say like you know what i am iron man the truth is i am iron man um and of course yeah. that line becomes vitally vitally important in a, yeah. in a good circle around later on um but yeah it's his final it's his, essentially his final words i mean he's gonna have like the the post-mortem that he's able to like kind of eulogize himself to a certain degree but i think like it's I am Iron Man, and then it's like a very like mutatedly garbled oh pepper or something like <laughs> hey, that. As he's, yeah, hey pep, as he's like gone like full two face. Yeah, uh, as his like innards are like turning into goo, which is a really traumatic thing. Uh, so yeah, like this being like the final thing he says in this movie, post credit scene aside, which we got to talk about next, uh, and having that connect with what's essentially his final words in Endgame. Uh, really, really cool synergy. 
It's actually funny because like we can talk about this or, you know, maybe people forget by the time we get to Endgame. Um, but that is also something that was filmed, from what I understand, um, way late in the game. Like they, they, they got him by himself to film against Green because they didn't know what the line should be. And I don't know who suggested it, but someone basically was just like, he should say, I am Iron Man. And it was just like, oh, obviously, of course. <laughs> what else right. would he say in this moment? And so um, they, they filmed that. And I think it is a perfect cyclical thing. I'm still just thinking about it now and just remembering that like. Him saying that is so good. It does it does yeah. away with secret identity, which is a thing I think that is that is often debated in comics now, especially like do characters need secret identities? What does it mean? Should they have it? Is it lying to people that you care about? Um, and you know, there's there's a back and forth that can be had, but for this character, for this moment, for what it sets up for the MCU, it is it is stellar and like just uh, uncanny, amazing, spectacular. All the other adjectives across the comic book board, right there. Uh, and then the movie ends and then you sit through the credits and if you'd heard the rumors, then you knew to stay through the credits. Uh, and in the very first ever post credit scene in Marvel Cinematic Universe history and a scene that really doesn't establish the post credit scene as a thing, but really popularizes it as a thing across multiple different franchises, let alone Marvel Studios. Samuel F. L. Jackson shows up as S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury, uh, because in the Ultimates comic uh, written by Mark Millar, and I don't know who illustrated it off the top of my head. Brian Hitch. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's likeness is used for Nick Fury. And there's even a point in the comic book where all of the Ultimates, which is the Ultimate Universe uh, equivalent of the Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, all these guys are sitting around being like, yo, who's going to play us in the movie? And everyone has like very stupid choices. And then they ask Nick Fury is like, this is a dumb question. Obviously, Samuel L. Jackson plays me in the movie. Well, here it is. Uh, life imitating art becoming art itself. As Samuel L. Jackson shows up at Iron Man's house, says, you're not the only superhero in the world. And I want to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. And with that, people get mega hyped. And everyone, all born. the fans just throw up in excitement. <laughs> like, And then like all these other people are like, wait, what does that mean? Yeah, and, like, I mean. You know, a bunch of people start to become nerds as a result uh, of the Avenger initiative. I think like that line is the is like the birth point. It's the flashpoint, if you will, for the creation of millions of nerds across the world. I mean, flashpoint is something else entirely. I know. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it it really is a moment that I think just everything we talked about here about like, man, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. That is the one that you're just like, they were just like, we're laying it out. We're going for it. We're going to shoot our shot. And boy oh boy did that pay off for them like that was a hype moment the idea that they were like we are going to do the avengers and we never i think even then imagined like it was going to be the way it was going to be that it was gonna be all these different series of movies everything how it was going to pan out like but the idea that we were going to see the avengers uh, on screen at some point in our life was astounding astounding to get to that point like we had seen spider-man we had seen the X-Men, but this was different. This was the Avengers and Justice League are, are, are different in what they are um, in that it's all these characters from different comics that come together to form this team. And we hadn't really seen it in in um, in live action like this. And so it, at least in a good way. Um, so it was exciting. It was it was groundbreaking, and exciting. And seeing Samuel L. Jackson was also just like, what? Because that was a secret. That was a seat when when things could be secret. There was that was a secret surprise to have 
him be Nick Fury and like what a moment to have well, Samuel there, L. Jackson. There were rumors about it. Again, I think it was an ain't it cool scoop uh, that Samuel L. Jackson had filmed a cameo as Nick Fury. But I think like John Favreau and other people were like flatly denied it. They were like, no, that's crazy. You guys are I don't know what you're talking about. It was like one of those cases where I was talking to a to a comic book creator relatively recently who I won't name uh, at the moment, but was but often lies like outright about like things that are coming up in in his work. Uh, And like I kind of like lightly called him out on it or I called out like the situation on it. Uh, And he's like, the key is like the lie is worth whatever karmic cost as long as like the the surprise that it's protecting is if the payoff is there. Uh, and I think that it's very, very here. It's like uh, the Samuel L. Jackson showing up as a surprise is, is just such a delight on that first run. Um, and I think like, even if people knew that it was coming, um, I think that they were probably still just so tickled to see it in action. But the vast majority of people who saw this, like got it by word of mouth or by sticking around also very clever too to not like hype it up because people probably hear about it and then they're like oh i guess i gotta go see iron man again i missed the scene i missed the final scene uh so probably got a lot of repeat viewings uh out of it but now everybody knows to stick through the credits uh even when sometimes there's nothing to stick around through and then it's, it's become uh, a standard I, the amount of people like before the movie started credits everybody got up everybody left that's actually uh it's a game changer uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a fun tidbit in that um, they are called trailers because they used to show after the movie, but everyone would leave and never watch it. So they became previews. Um, but like now it's different. Now people actually have a reason to stay after the credits that they give a crap about versus like, I'm going to see a trailer for a movie that meh, maybe. But uh, it's that. Yeah, it's weird now that you go to a theater. Well, when we used to be able to go to theaters. You, yeah, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully someday again soon. Yeah. And like you see so many people sticking around. I think there are certain movies where you don't. But um now it's become a standard because also everything is a franchise now. So uh, there's there's like reason. But this was this was the one. This is the one that that launched it all. The post credit scene that launched an entire cinematic universe, the greatest cinematic universe, some might say. All right. Let's get into some feedback from the listeners. I think that'll help drive the rest of the conversation. And if there's anything else to pick up, we will pick it up along the way. Uh, but let's start with uh, just a collection of uh, reviews of Iron Man from people who wrote into us. Again, you can write into us super at postshowrecaps.com. Very, very easy, uh, very easy way. And by far the best way to get in touch with us. Uh, super at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, let's read this review from Kyle Faber, who wrote in the original Iron Man rules so hard and the tactility makes it actually feel like a movie so much more than most of the later entries it also has the best supporting cast of any of the non-team movies or at least tied with the winter soldier and it's so lovably small scale the second act set piece is about covertly moving a file from a computer to a usb drive (laughs) and i'll never forget when sam jackson showed up and dropped that they were making an avengers movie um, this one's from Jason Lee who writes in and says, I'll keep it relatively short for Iron Man. I have nothing particularly original to say, but even years later, it's a solidly entertaining superhero movie. And obviously what gives it the edge is Robert Downey Jr. Bringing an almost Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow level of irreverence and nonchalance to the superhero genre, uh, throwing an unforgettably hilarious and abrupt ending. And you've got the foundation for a massively successful franchise. Um, I, that's a really interesting point. The Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow thing. Like that's a good point of comparison. I think for like what Robert Downey Jr. Is doing as Iron Man here. Not in that, like he's like wobbling around and being pirate drunk and stuff, but in that, like he is instantly forever known as this character like christian bale doesn't have that with batman you know christian bale is gonna go on and be known for so many different things and not that robert downey 
Yeah, it's obviously Newsies. Is, it predated him, so uh, he'll never be forgotten uh, for, for, for that. Uh, and his trip to Santa Fe, are you there? Are you going to wait forever? Um <laughs> But like, it's not the same thing. Like uh, Johnny Depp, obviously, he's known for you know a lot of like outside of his work antics, and antics is probably way too kind of a word to be tossing at it. Um, but like, as far as like his work, jo- Jack Sparrow is like li- literally a Disney attraction, right? Like Robert Downey Jr. doing what he does with Iron Man is is very similar in that regard. Uh, so I think that that's a really good point of comparison. Um. Let's see who else. This is from Drewby Drewby Drew, who says that this is the perfect start to the MCU arc. Favreau was the right choice. He had the vision. He understands how to insert comedy. And Downey was so dynamic. It set the tone for the entire universe. Not a perfect movie necessarily, but the perfect way to start. Um, and Kevin, I think that that's going to segue us very nicely into this next point um, from my friend uh, and lost down the hatch co-podcaster Mike Bloom. Uh, who writes in and he says, looking at all of the first films for all of these heroes, Iron Man 1, Captain America, the first Avenger, Thor, the Incredible Hulk. Is this the right choice to begin the MCU, Kevin? Iron Man. It's an interesting question. Um, I want to say yes. And it's weird because it, it, it's hindsight is 2020. But we kind of talked about this before, right? Where in the last podcast, we discussed like there's been all these films with these A-list superheroes, your Supermans, your Batmans, Spider-Man, you know, the X-Men were well known. Iron Man was not a well-known character. And I think if you did Thor, who has a mythology and legacy behind him, if you did Captain America, who is, I think, A-list, B-list at the lowest, um, you it would have a lot of eyes. You wouldn't be able to take as many risks. You wouldn't be able to do, I think, what you did in Iron Man. So by taking this character who wasn't as well known, they were able to, I think, take some freedoms with it and run a risk without worrying too much about it not paying off at the time. It paid off tremendously, but I don't think they would have done the risk that they did if they went with someone else, the, the one of the top or tier characters. I mean, they did Incredible Hulk movies previously, right? They did Hulk, did not work out well. So I think this was the right call. I think also Hulk as a as a solo lead, there's a lot of debate about whether or not that's good. Um, so we can discuss that next time though. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's for next week. my opinion, I think, yes, this is the right call. And I think it was the only one you could have really done what they did with. Um, a lot of people asked us, so obviously Robert Downey Jr. So iconic as Iron Man, but if not RDJ, then who, who could have played Tony Stark? Uh, we got that from Brendan Fitzpatrick, who's instrumental to this podcast existing. He's collecting your feedback. So a huge shout out to Brendan Fitzpatrick. Uh, also want to give a shout out to the great Alex G who is responsible for editing the music together that you're hearing in the intro and outro. So Alex G way to go. My friend, uh, Ken Crooner had written in and said, obviously RDJ was the optimal and flawless choice to play Tony, but if he couldn't have done it for any reason, who would you have cast? Uh, now, Kevin, a couple of the names that had been connected to Iron Man before Robert Downey Jr. landed the part, um, one of whom is somebody who has not gone on to play a Marvel uh, character, uh, one of whom has, but not a Marvel Cinematic Universe character. Um, do you want to take any guesses at who these two people who have been closely associated with Iron Man are? Um, I'm going to throw out a name just because of the, I want to say, time period when the casting would have been happening. Um, and it is always a person with a particular look. I'm going to say Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, you got always, it. Always, always. Uh, uh, I think that there was going to be, I, I feel like maybe Peter Berg was associated with directing this back when Iron Man was at Universal. And I think it was supposed to be a Tom Cruise vehicle. Uh, and there's a version of that that works, but I don't know that like, 
he's as universally uh i think that tom cruise comes with obviously rdj comes with baggage to iron man but so does tom cruise and i think what tom cruise like tom cruise just has like this very specific image to him that maybe doesn't fit as like uniquely to tony stark as rdj i think that there is a world where tom cruise as iron man could have worked uh i prefer the universe we live in uh but maybe i prefer the other universe that was a possibility uh for somebody who went on to become a marvel superhero not in the marvel cinematic universe uh and uh was once almost cast as iron man i i i i don't know this is a person this is an actor who is near and dear to my heart uh oh my god no no Um, no joshua (laughs) it wasn't me i wasn't associated with iron man mr i'm just gonna say mr uh nicholas cage yeah nicholas cage (laughs) oh no was allegedly circling iron man at one point in human history nicholas cage was not going to be satisfied unless he got to play a superhero someday he was almost superman once upon a time uh, and then he was uh, almost Iron Man. Then he finally got Ghost Rider and everyone was like, ah, and I don't know. Josh, I, I just I just rewatched I Ghost sta- Rider. I, I, I haven't gone back and watched the original Ghost Rider in a while, but Ghost Rider 2 Spirit of Vengeance, three thumbs up uh, <laughs> as many as many thumbs as I could possibly grow. I will I will put them up. It's a it's a different movie. The first one is bad. Spirit of Vengeance <laughs> is is a crazy movie and I love it. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance is dope. I will. I, I stand Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Uh, all right. And so let's let's keep going here. Uh, let's talk about the Favs and the Furious. Let's talk about John Favreau. This is from the great Stefan Johnson, prolific contributor here on Poster Recaps. Uh, how much credit should John Favreau get for the MCU as a whole? And should he come back as a director? And if so, for which character? Kevin, he is going to be the filmmaker behind Iron Man, Iron Man 2, he gets executive producer credits on, I think, all of the Avengers movies. He's obviously still in good with Marvel because he's going to re- reprise the role as Happy Hogan um, in multiple films, including the Spider-Man movies. We'll talk about it more, I think, like post Iron Man 2, maybe. But there is a bit of a falling out between John Favreau and Marvel for at least a little while uh, over like similar contract disputes, I think, as 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 with the, the Terrence Howard situation. But we talk so much about Kevin Feige and his, you know, genius vision that is able to to make the MCU possible. Um, should should we be talking more about John Favreau than we do, perhaps? I yes, I think that I think John Favreau has a lot to to contribute here and add one for his flexibility. As you said, it's a lot. It's an on the fly movie. They change a lot, and some directors would just be absolutely not like they're sticking to a certain thing, and they would. To, you know, it has to be the way that they see it. Um, so I think the flexibility there. I do think John Favreau himself is a comic book fan. So I think there's something to attribute to that. I think he has a familiarity. And I want to say a respect for the medium that a lot of directors don't. When we see a lot of failed superhero films, I think it's because the people who make them don't respect the comics and don't look at them as an as a as a as a true um piece of literature of sort and um john favreau i think had that i mean i heard rumors from back in the day that like him and feige were talking to writers like actual comic writers to to discuss the character and learn you know about them and i think that's something that that speaks toward it so i i do think he deserves a lot of credit for like what happened i mean i think it's a better you know he's better than this other person about to say but like you can't 
not credit Star Wars with George Lucas. Like he started it all despite other things, but you know, a lot of that vision was started because of him. And uh, I think in a similar way, Favreau is attributed to that um, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it does. It is sad that he 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 hasn't directed something. I'm trying to think if he were to come back, what would I want him to direct? And I think I may have an answer. I this has not been announced. It's it's not out there. But if they do a Young Avengers film, I honestly would throw it as John Favreau, and I think that'd he'd be, be fun. Pretty good at doing a Young Avengers. That'd be cool. I'd like to see that. That'd be fun. Uh, more Stefan Johnson stuff. Again, prolific. Uh, and you said vision, Kevin. And so did Stefan. Uh, Stefan <laughs> said, uh, casting someone as great as Paul Bettany as just a voice seems like a waste. Do you think they had the idea that he would become vision way back in Iron Man? Um, he also mentioned, Stefan says, by the way, my, my vote for uh, best sidekick will go to the arm robot. Uh, we didn't That's talk my about, vote. That's me. Know, we didn't talk about dummy nearly enough, uh, as I believe what his name is. Uh, yeah, I, he, I think, uh, bites the bullet in Iron Man 3. Is that right? When, like, the whole Malibu house goes under? Yeah, I believe that, uh, if not, th- yeah, 3 uh, is when that happens. Yeah, I believe that, sadly, he, he faces Tragic. his demise. Um, it is it is crazy, because, like, uh, Robin, you know, the other comment, uh, the last two comments from her, she uh, pointed out where she was like, oh, they had Paul Bettany even before he became Division. And I was like, yeah, that's right, because I remember that that was the case, and I never thought that they'd end up in vision territory and have Jarvis essentially become vision. But, um, that was really cool to be able to see that they, that they had that and they kept it, um, in that way to be like, Oh, we got Paul Bettany for this and fingers crossed. I think they had a lot of hopes and they were, they were laying those chips down for this, um, in a great way. Yeah. But I also think one of the things that's, uh, contributed to the success of the MCU is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite movies. It's uh, and I'm going to botch the quote. Uh, it's from Gattaca. Uh, and, uh, there's a moment where Ethan Hawke and his brother are like swimming in the middle of the night because when they were kids, uh, they had like this epic swim, uh, battle against each other. And Ethan Hawke, who should not be physically capable of doing what he did, was able to like swim across this vast expanse. And his brother has, who's supposed to be genetically superior has had this huge ax to grind against him for the whole the whole time. And this is something that has been like a life philosophy for me ever since is when they're doing it again as adults. Uh, and Ethan Hawke turns to his brother. He says, you asked me how I, how I saved it for the way back. That was the trick. I never saved anything for the way back. I never saved anything for the swim back. And I think that the, that, that logic applies to the way that the MCU is made. It's like, we're not going to save Paul Bettany for a future thing. If we can get Paul Bettany now, let's get Paul Bettany now. We're not going to save Sam Rockwell for a future thing. If we can get Sam Rockwell now, let's get Sam Rockwell now. Uh, and I, I think that like maybe there's some people who have uh, you know been associated with the MCU that like you wish were available for better roles down the line. I think a big one that comes to mind and is often talked about is like Idris Elba. Like, could they have, like, saved Idris Elba when, before, like, his star was going to blow? But you don't know that stuff. So you get someone as talented as Idris Elba now while you can get him. Uh, and there's thousands and thousands of talented actors out there. So uh, I don't think anything like that is a waste. I think anything that you can get in that regard is a coup. I think it's, uh, it's only, only good stuff, Kevin. Um, how about some general stuff? Uh, Philippe Shimon wrote in uh, and said, I really liked what Kevin said about how the MCU is more like a long television show than a film franchise last week in some way. Wasn't that my take, Kevin, and not yours? Are you getting credit for something that I said? I, I mean, I think we both discussed it. I, I, I think you mentioned the film. I think I was saying like how it was a real-life interpretation of comic books, which is something that we, we hadn't really seen before. 
Yeah, um, but that's a it, much nerdier take. That's yes, not as cool. I, I, that's not as cool as what nerdier. I said. What I said was much cooler. Uh, Philippe said, we discussed in a class last year about how Endgame and the final Game of Thrones season being at the same time heightened the overlap between the cinematic and television landscapes in, uh, in many, way, uh, many ways. Uh, yeah, that was a crazy time last year. I almost didn't survive it. Yeah, what, well, you didn't survive because of work. I didn't. I almost didn't survive it just because of like sadness. Because you were furious. How <laughs> Game of Thrones ended. Uh, and then this is from Don Ames, who's, whose take on the MCU is this. My take on the MCU is that it has the highest highs for their many storylines and the lowest lows for any movie franchise, uh, citing, <laughs> citing <laughs> Thor 2, Iron Man 2, and the Hulks. Uh, this even surpasses the Star Wars prequels due to the hype for the first movies. Do you think that the worst movies in the MCU are like the lowest lows in any movie franchise the uh, like is movies. thor the dark world being the worst thor movie like is that like worse than any like bad superman movie for example i guess is like the way to frame it no i would probably <laughs> i mean geez like i i, 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 I mean, strong disagree <laughs> on that one i think yes the mcu like maybe thor the dark world is the one exception but like there's so many bad bad dc films and and uh the prequels are also just atrociously bad and there was a lot of hype around the prequels uh, when they came out like a ton of hype um so i think that uh i i think that yes the mcu has lows of lows to say the lowest of lows of any franchise i i disagree with i think there's a lot of dc movies that are pretty low some recently that are really high but yeah a lot of them are pretty low yeah the the great shut up tim uh, asked us if we could please compare this first of a franchise to the dc extended universe uh first started that franchise, yeah kevin <laughs> um, uh I'll leave. I'll let you have the floor. You can run this press conference. You can stick to the script or you can uh, sit down and make us all sit down and we can get a closer look at you. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to go too far into it. If we ever get to the to the DCU for whatever reason, the DCEU, we can discuss it more. But I mean, this is this was the right way to start a franchise. And I think for a long time. DC didn't want to pull triggers, didn't want to make moves. Didn't, they would never do what they did with Iron Man because also, again, I think that, one, DC has a lot of slew of higher hitters, uh, bigger, well-known characters, which, like I mentioned, you can't do what you did with Iron Man with. Um, but I think also the the uh, the vision for it, there I say, was just not there for them. I mean, Man of Steel, um, for many reasons, I think, uh, was, was a disappointment in terms of starting a, a franchise in a cinematic universe cannot live up to what Iron Man accomplished. Um, and I think a lot of it, again, comes down to also tone. I think Iron Man set the tone for what the, the future Marvel Cinematic Universe films would be. Um, and The Dark Knight, despite the fact that it did not connect to the greater DC universe, set the tone for what DC wanted their movies to be. And unfortunately, that is not a tone in which you could do something to the level of which... Uh, marvel did for the cinematic universe is what i will say here i don't want to i mean if you want to hear me rant about it you know i could do an entire other podcast about at that kev mahadeo please <laughs> at him so that you can get into an online fight in these trying times if you need to blow off some steam and get into a conflict with a with a very heated person uh, i highly recommend a twitter fight with that kev mahadeo <laughs> 
I'm sure a very productive use of time for everybody involved. Yes, that's um, what we should use Twitter for right now. <laughs> uh, one, one, la- one last thing before we start getting into some ranking business. Uh, Sammy Kappa, the incredible Sammy Kappa, a uh, great artist, uh, had had written in uh, on the comment that uh, on the conversation that we had about the the Guardians of the Galaxy ride that has now taken over the Tower of Terror in Disneyland. And Albert Vargas, your friend and mine, Kevin, yeah. uh, posted the, posted the picture of us on Twitter on it's the Tower image. of Terror. Uh, so you can go seek that out. It was really really funny to see that again uh i looked very scared uh everyone else looked like they were having fun and i definitely remember being like this is the end of everything uh but sammy says that the tower of terror it's only gone in disneyland and apparently it's still there in uh in disney world in florida that is accurate yes that's great news great news the tower of terror lives it's just uh not not in california anymore uh, i try to I, ride it every time i go to disney world now because i can't ride it here um i love that ride a lot so it, it makes me very happy when i'm able to go to disney World. have you done the guardians ride though i did we um uh was before, it good before our um passes expired uh robin and i went and uh did the guardians ride for the first time and it was a lot of fun i really really enjoyed it it's a very very fun ride um and they did a lot in there to like really change it up enough. Uh, but uh, Tower of Terror has a special place in my heart because I love love uh, Twilight Zone. Terror, and I yeah, respect yeah. Rod Serling as a creator like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into our Infinity Stone rankings. And our Infinity Stone rankings, this is the mechanism through which we are ranking some things here along our journey through the MCU on Everything is Super. We're ranking the movies. We're ranking the villains. We're also going to rank post-credit scenes is something that we didn't announce last week. So uh, you can send in your rankings on those. Uh, no one has submitted yet, uh, with the exception of the great Brendan Fitzpatrick. So the data there is going to be pretty light. All of these are going to be flexible documents as we move forward. So it's never too late to submit your rankings. Here's how to do it from a scale of one to six decimal points allowed. Uh, you are going to be ranking these three things, the movies, the, the villains of the movies and the post credit scenes. Uh, we want to hear that from you. Scale of one to six. You submit that to super at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, submit your ranking that way. I'm going to give a score from one to six. Kevin's going to give a score from one to six. We're going to average up the audience score from one to six. Those three data points themselves will then be averaged. And that will be the official everything is super score for these categories makes sense to you kevin because it makes sense to me it makes perfect sense to me um and i'm excited to get down into it all right well last week i gave my rankings of the marvel movies that i do not necessarily still stand by i'm very curious to see what the scientific data is going to do to these rankings uh as we go along the way no need to rehash them though i have put spider-man far from home and avengers endgame on the list i will include that in the show notes we'll also include kevin's rankings in the show notes kevin you have offered up your own rankings of the mcu would you like to go through them very quickly yeah easily so um so this is from least to best uh, hilariously most of our i think our bottom four or five are the same um at the bottom list thor the dark world followed by iron man 2 incredible hulk thor 1 doctor strange ant-man captain marvel Iron Man 1, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man Far From Home, Guardians Volume 2, Iron Man 3, Guardians Volume 1, Captain America The First Avenger, Marvel's The Avengers, Captain America Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Homecoming, Captain America Civil War, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame. That is my ranking. OG Iron Man is the 16th for you? 
Uh, yeah. Again, that's, just based. That's so crazy to me. That's just, wild. I it, it's great. I really, really liked it. But there's so much in those other movies that I can think of and remember that I was just like, Whoa. oh man. It's also a lot of the other movies do a thing that we couldn't get in Iron Man. And and like looking at it from Iron from, Man isn't better than Ant-Man and the Wasp for you. Really? Well, really? see, that's the thing, right? Cause I am in the Come Wasp. On. I think you have, you have great action sequences. You have a deep story. You have Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, there's so much that happens in that film and have compelling, interesting villains. I think, I think there's a lot there that, that they improved upon wow. that they had the chance to is all I'm saying at the moment. Maybe it will change. Also, once you're in the future, you actually get crossovers. You have these characters interacting, and that sort of makes them amazing. Yeah, no respect for your elders, though. Uh, <laughs> Iron Man is I never have respect for my elders, so that's hardly surprising. It's a, it's a crazy take. All right, well, we're going to get into, into ranking Iron Man as far as everything is super is concerned. A note from uh, my good buddy and friend of the podcast, Daniel Strunk, uh, who says he's never been more excited about a podcast than uh, the MCU rewatch. I know Daniel Aww. Strunk, uh, the great Professor Strunk, is a, is a huge Marvel guy. Uh, Strunk says, I would encourage the use of tears when the time comes. I don't think he means that he wants us to cry on the podcast. I think he means he wants us to, to separate these movies out into tears. I think we'll, we'll definitely do that once we get a more um, uh, holistic uh, uh, view of, uh, of the rankings of everything. I think that that's definitely something we can do is we can separate out the rankings into tears. I don't know that I could do that for my own personal rankings, which maybe is a reflection of I have not done this myself uh, nearly as scientifically as humanly possible um a note from christina b who's new to post show recaps by way of everything is super that's exciting shout out to christina b she says it would be interesting to hear where people rank these movies from one to 23 so to get like people to do their own rankings in addition to doing the scores she says i don't know if you want to do more math uh, but that might be cool to discuss. So you can feel free to, to send that in. But I do think for the sake of this, we're just going to stick to the one to six. See what science bears out for us, Kevin. Um, but if uh, if anyone wants to send that in, maybe we can put our brains together to figure out how to how to put that together. Um, all right. Let's let's uh, enough foreplay on the on the movie rankings yeah. at the very least. I'm going to give Iron Man on a scale of one to six infinity stones. Going to give it a flat five. Five out of six Infinity Stones for Iron Man. That's uh, so high. <laughs> I almost went higher, and then what I what I got to was that. Listen, we have to we have to set the bar at a place that can be topped. Iron Man cannot be like insanely high, but to have it lower than a five felt very very wrong to me. Uh, felt very wrong to me. This is the one that started it all. It's the Survivor Borneo of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Tony Stark is Richard Hatch confirmed. You know, he won the game first. Like you just have to have a certain amount of respect for that. And even if there are, you know, large swaths of the movie that are largely forgettable, um, so much of what it succeeds in is like tone and feeling and like base coding and all of that stuff is is really really great to the point that they even like pretty seamlessly just throw in like you know burger king advertising even with like a great backstory behind it um like there's just so much that's great about this movie but enough that's dated and enough that's forgettable and some stuff that's a little problematic that i that i'm not going to boost it further than a five so i doubt that it'll when we do this thing all told i think it's probably not going to be quite as high on my own list um once we're you know as we're doing this along the way but i gotta start with a five it's freaking iron man it's the og i 
did not start with a five. I I gave it a four, and I think man. that's fair. I think put some respect on Iron Man. I Kevin. have respect for it, but like you got, and that's the thing when doing these rankings. I you know this is in retrospect, especially this is we know what's come, we know what's what's going to be coming up, and to have Iron Man at a five, and then later on everything is going to be comparison a six. It's sort of going to be difficult, in my opinion. Like when you put it. When you put it against a lot of the other films and their structure and their story and their villain and their and their one two three acts, like I think Iron Man does suffer from villain problem and um, failures in terms not failures but not as good second and third acts. And I think that's the basis of it. I will say like the other thing too, and just for clarity across the board, I think while we're ranking these, in my this is how I'm ranking them. I'm only ranking these compared to other MCU films because again, if you're ranking it against other superhero films that's not gonna work because if a ghostwriter is one everything else by comparison is going to be high on that list so this is only amongst mcu films and i'm i feel good about giving iron man a four um well the audience uh of the of this of the rankings that we've received so far it goes as low as a three uh, as a three, a full three, a flat three. One person gave it a uh, full middle of the road. Uh, somebody gave it a three point five. But beyond that, nobody gave it less than a four up to this point. And so the audience score as it stands has Iron Man at a four point eight. Uh, so within the fours, but closer to me, Kevin, I'm speaking for the people uh, here with my five. I feel much better about my five than your four, which I think is I get where you're coming from, but I kind of hate it. Uh, <laughs> so Our relationship defines. <laughs> so with so with my point uh, for five, with Kevin for four, with the audience currently at a four point eight, uh, Iron Man currently sits at a four point five nine for the Everything Is Super ranking. Uh, that will be adjustable, I am sure, as more people send in their rankings. Uh, now let's now let's do the villain rankings, Kevin, uh, because I think you and I are probably a lot more simpatico as it comes to as it pertains to Obadiah Stane. And look, I love Jeff Bridges. Uh, I think he's got the line of the movie. Uh, Tony Stark, build us in a cave with a box of scraps. It's I mean, that's like, a good line, but I am Iron Man. It has to be the line of the movie. But like the one that like brings me the most like palpable joy. Fair enough. I'm just like, just to like bellow it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think like when you, when you consider like Obadiah Stane, uh, as like Tony's first antagonist, uh, and you like try and like put some like mirroring on that versus uh, Thanos as the end game boss, literally for Tony and that movie. Um, I think it's like a kind of fun alpha and omega where like you start with like a really low grade Thanos uh, in Obadiah Stane, who's like a real like D list Thanos. Um, but I think to to set the tone here, and I think what we'll notice is I think I think that even though the MCU is going to rank very high, I bet the villain scores are not always going to be so high. Um, and for me, I'm going to give Obadiah Stane a flat three, and it would probably be lower if not for the fact that I think Jeff Bridges elevates it via performance. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement. I, I gave, I gave him a three. I think I tried to separate the Jeff Bridges as much as I could. I think an actor does elevate roles and I think it's important to include that, but I can't fully lean into giving it a higher than that because like Jeff Bridges is great. I love Jeff Bridges and his performance was amazing as a villain and his motivation. He's kind of blonde. He unfortunately set a tone for a lot of Marvel movies where it's just like bald white guy in a suit as the, right. as the bad guy. And um, we see a lot of that uh, moving forward, especially again, compared to what I know is coming in terms of villains to put him higher again, <laughs> would be a little bit rough. And I know that there's worse. So that's why I think three 
Solid answer for Obadiah Stane. Yeah, so you're a three, I'm a three. It goes as low amongst the audience as a, as a, as a one. Um, <laughs> poor Obadiah Stane just gets the one Infinity Stone from Wes Macon. Shout out to Wes. Uh, and he's got a few fives in there. There's some people, he got as high as a 5.5. Wow. A lot of love for for Obadiah Stane in, in certain corners of the who, universe. Who are there? Who are there twos and ones? I just have to know. Uh, there's a couple of two point fives in here. Uh, but no, yeah. I met that person who did five point no, five. I'm curious I, to see later on. I got my eye on you, Stefan. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what what else uh, comes from that particular category. But uh, that that boosts Obadiah Stane further up than what you and I had. Uh, so it's a three point nine from the audience uh, for Obadiah Stane. And it's pretty high right now. Uh, so he can he can be happy that he is currently the best bad guy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> by default uh, with a three from me, a three from Kevin, a three point nine from the audience, which gives him three point two nine infinity stones uh, overall here. And everything is super um, then post credit scene. So people have not really sent those in because th- that's something new that we're going to be doing. Um, Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, who is who is, as mentioned, he's uh, a huge, huge help for us here behind the scenes on everything is super. Uh, so super shout out to, to the great service fits uh gives the post credit scene here a five so that's our only audience score to go off of uh and kevin i cannot imagine that we are in disagreement that uh the post credit scene for iron man more than deserves a perfect six perfect six i mean absolutely it's it's the post credit scene i can rarely think of another one that will hit a six maybe one or two others at best at best maybe one more honestly but um king of the ring king of the ring this started a trend like this launched like everything and it got excitement it it got excitement in a way that i think the other post credits i mean got you pumped but the idea of the avengers the idea of like we have a plan and we are working towards it is thrilling and exciting and even in retrospect it's really great i think for a lot of people who had no idea what the avengers are it it you know when they first saw it maybe didn't hit but looking back knowing what the Avengers are now, knowing what this franchise is, seeing that scene, you're just like, man, they did it. They went for it and they succeeded. And I think perfect six all the way around. It is the infinity gauntlet of, uh, of post-credit scenes right now. It is inevitable. Uh, Iron Man uh, with the, with the, the leading score of post-credits rankings so far that uh, doesn't really it doesn't have any competition yet because it's literally the only movie we've talked about so far. <laughs> it will not be the only movie we talk about for long. We're getting into the Incredible Hulk next week. Kevin, uh, it's dropping in your feeds April 15th. Make sure you're subscribed. You won't miss it. Kevin, before like sight unseen, without going back and revisiting it yet, what are your expectations for the Incredible Hulk? Uh, it's when weird. Was, because when was the last time you saw this movie? I'd be curious to know. Uh, I saw it when it came out in theater and I think I may have watched it one more time <laughs> shortly afterwards. It's, it's been a really, really long time. And I have, yeah. I have a history with the Hulk. I mean, besides the fact that I also, you really, are the Hulk. I yeah. am the Hulk. Right. Um, yeah. but there is a, there is a, there is a, uh, connected history that I'd love to get into about that character and how, and what it means to me. Um, and I remember when I watched it, I liked it. Like there were, there were faults, there were problems, but I, I enjoyed things that they did and it's become a film that in retrospect i think the ranking of it has gotten very low because of other great great stuff coming in i am very excited and interested to rewatch it um and, and see it i'm glad that it's incredible hulk and not ang lee's hulk i will say that uh if it was ang lee's hulk i would be 
Oh God, that's, that's, that's Ang like Ang Lee's Hulk is a wild ride, man. That that's is, a, that's that a is weird ass movie. Thor Dark World lower territory right there for me. Oh boy, yeah, that's crazy. It's a crazy movie. All right, so Incredible Hulk, Ed Norton stepping up to the plate, swinging a miss, uh, or is it? But he's certainly not going to get another shot at bat. Uh, so this is going to be the one and done Ed Norton Incredible Hulk. Maybe we can uh, re uh, we could we could view the film through the lens of like what if Mark Ruffalo was here could be fun to do. Uh, so we'll get into that. Send your feedback for that. Super at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Our Twitter's at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at Kev Mahadeo. Subscribe to the podcast. Search for it. The feed should be up soon if it's not up already. So keep looking out for it. In the meantime, Postshow Recaps main feed. Uh, you'll be able to get everything there. Uh, your ratings and reviews, of course, greatly, greatly appreciated. Kevin, is there anything else from Iron Man or just generally in your life uh, that we did not touch on today that you would like to touch on? Yes, the the one last thing I wanted to say regarding Iron Man is, um, you know, we, we we had a few comments from Robin earlier, but my favorite Robin comment that I think is more of the standard of type of commentary we can expect from her is this quote she said shortly after the movie began, which is, quote, I'm interested to see how the fonts evolve. How the uh, fonts evolve? How the fonts evolve. That is in reference to when it showed up at the bottom of Malibu, California, and the 36 hours... <laughs> But it is the most Robin Wildman uh, quote, I think. What? <laughs> it is fantastic. Uh, She's gonna have that's the type of stuff we can expect. I'm so excited because we can expect commentary on clothing choices, as we saw with Obadiah Stane. Oh my god! And uh, and hair choices. There will be commentary on hair choices. Expect that coming. <laughs> That's very exciting. Very exciting stuff. All right. So a lot of exciting stuff happening on post show recaps right now. Lost down the hatch is continuing. We've got the hunting party coming up. Speaking of hair choices, we're going to see Mister Friendly with his fake beard. That's going to be very very fun. Uh, Walking Dead just wrapped, but Jessica Lee and I are going to be launching our Killing Eve podcast here very shortly. So if you like Killing Eve, that's going to be a really fun listen. So subscribe to that podcast. You can do that at post show recaps right now we're working on the feed westworld still going on better call saul still going on uh, and maybe another surprise or two coming your way this week if we can swing it uh don't want to uh promise the moon um all right so we've got uh we've got work to do here kevin we got to get into the incredible hulk uh it's probably going to take us just six days to like stomach uh sitting through it so maybe we should just get off the podcast now and start doing that what do you think Let's Hulk out. <laughs> Let's Hulk out. Now, I actually, I, I, I liked the Incredible Hulk when it first came out. So I don't know. We'll see if that take holds in light of everything else. Uh, looking forward to checking that out. Hope everybody out there is staying safe, staying sane, staying inside as much as you can. Uh, lots of love to all of you out there and hope you enjoyed our Iron Man recap. We'll be back next week talking Incredible Hulk. Until then, everybody take care. Goodbye. Kevin, you think everyone's gone or do you think people stuck around to see if there's a post credit scene? Oh, um, I mean, I'm hoping someone's stuck around, right? Like we just ranted about the greatness of a post credit scene. Should there be like a secret post credits hashtag uh, that people on Twitter can send our way in case uh, they made it to the secret post credit scene?
I mean, hashtag box of scraps, right? <laughs> hashtag box of scraps for sure. All right. If you get if you tweet us hashtag box of scraps to at Kev Mahadeo and at Ron Howard, we know you're truly along for the ride here and everything is super. More post credit scenes to come, more podcasting to come. Take care, everybody. Bye.